0: Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Uh, I invite you, if you would, to go ahead and go with me to the book of Acts, because we're going to be talking uh, out of the book of Acts. and We are in the middle of a series called After the Resurrection, and we began last week. And it's important, I think, as, as Christians to understand not just what happened at Calvary, not just what happened you know, as Jesus was, was scourged and he was, he was killed for our inequities and for our sins and that, that his death was the atoning sacrifice to bring true righteousness, not, not human-based righteousness, but a faith-based righteousness, an absolute righteousness, uh, to be able to bring that reality of that we can stand before God completely and totally cleansed of our sins, which makes absolutely no sense. And every time I have that conversation with somebody who's, who's not a, a strong believer, they just look at me and go, that cannot be true. I mean, that just can't, that makes no sense whatsoever. And yet it is true because we cannot do anything to make up for our sins, but we can't undo what we've done. But what we can do is embrace the consequences being transferred onto someone else and to say that in my place, he stood. And by faith, I'm made righteous. So we've got to understand that. But then we have to understand, where do we go from there? Because that's the starting point. That's the point of reconciliation with God. That's the point of restoration of, of the original nature that God intended us to have when he created man and woman, man and woman in the Garden of Eden. You know, that, that place where we can go out and fulfill his will in our generation. Think about what it meant to have the veil torn asunder in the temple so that that the Holy of Holies was no longer a hidden place or, shall I say, a guarded place, an off-limits place, but that the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God resides, is a place where what we just experienced it, Dave. That's what we just experienced here at this altar, was an intimate encounter with the presence of God. Last week, we began the series, we talked about the fact that... that, uh, you had this, this um, situation where where when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, it, it did something. It changed people. After the resurrection, you know, because Christ said to, to Terry in Jerusalem, and, and the apostles went from being just followers of Jesus to proclaimers of the gospel. And they went from being timid and afraid to being bold and fearless, willing to endure persecution, willing to endure rejection, willing to, to face things, and yet, you know, Considering the consequences is nothing. If that's what God requires, great, let's go do it. And then we talked about the fact that the the congregations that that evolved from their ministries, from from the the preaching of the gospel, that the the church of Jesus, which was launched immediately after the resurrection, that that church was was described by the fact that they had had what are called kingdom priorities. They They had the priority of prayer. They had the priority of fellowship that they, they knew they had to they had to create relationships that were empowering. They talked about the you know the, the shared sense of um, that's the right word, compassion, that's not the right word. But but the, your your problems are my problems. You know, they are. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like you don't have a problem by yourself, we have a problem. And they were radically generous. And how they they really intently and with great seriousness study the Word of God, we handed out these 21-day these Bible studies. And in fact, several people have come up to me and said, these are still available, by the way. This takes you through the Gospel of John in 21 days, and you can actually link on with a QR code to, to a more in-depth study of John if you wish. I called these what last week? Elephant bites. Thank you. You're entitled to three free donuts okay? I call these elephant bites because how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you read the Bible? One day at a time. It, it's, it's how, and so if we'll take a complicated process and make it simple, we can see empowerment. And so if you haven't got a Bible reading plan, you don't have to wait till January of 2024. You can start in April. You can start in the middle of the month. You can start this morning, and so you could pick one of those up. But, Now we want to get into the the second part, because the church is established, the church is growing, the church is thriving, and what happens after you begin to experience growth? You get something that I like to call growing pains, and that is the title of this second week series. It's on growing pains, And, and just to answer a question that several people in this room are probably asking, why do we care about any of this ancient history? Why does this matter to me? Just take yourself out of where you're at today and think about the condition of the church in America right now. Everybody's chuckling. 1972, according to a Pew research study, I believe it was Pew anyway, 90% of Americans self-identified as being Christian. What was that number I just gave you? 90%. A few years ago, they did another survey. It came up 64%. At the end of COVID, there was a survey done, and I don't know how accurate it is. It said it was 49.5%. People are leaving the faith, are not embracing the faith. They say that there was one piece of research I said that for every two people who convert to Christ, and we are still winning people to Christ, three leave the church. The church meaning the global church. That's not a winning formula, okay? Okay. So the, somebody goes, Are you kidding me? No. So the issue is, what was different about the church in 23 AD from the church in 2023 AD? What did they have that made them so attractive that people were willing to risk their own life and their livelihood to become Christians, knowing what it meant, that you might get persecuted, you might get fired, you might get, you might get killed? I mean, it, it, those were all realistic possibilities, And yet, people still wanted to become Christians in incredible numbers. And the more they tried to oppress the church, the more the church thrived, which makes no sense. And when they killed off the first generation of leaders, the second generation of leaders were more effective than the first generation. Which is a pretty impressive thing, which is why next week we're going to talk about leaders and, and, and take people in their teens and 20s and 30s and anoint them and pray over them and, and believe God for an outpouring of leadership and influence in their life. And if you're in that demographic group, by the way, High Low Online, please be a part of it. Please be here in person if you can because it's going to be a very special service, not just the baptisms, but the anointing that's going to happen next week. Because I believe that we're supposed to leave a generation that's healthier than we were. Amen? Amen. More effective than we were. So that brings us to second part of this message, growing pains. Success brings its own problems, and one of which is something that you may know if you've ever been in the secular business world is mission drift. You know what mission drift is? That's when you start out to achieve something, and along the way, you get sidetracked, and you find yourself doing something else. You had a mission. God sent you on an assignment. You were supposed to go to to wherever and do whatever, and you find yourself someplace else doing something else. How did you get there? Mission drift. Why does mission drift exist in the church, specifically? It's because of this. The devil will always try to distract, deceive, and offend Christians to get us off track. If he can get you distracted by something that doesn't matter you'll forget about what does matter come on I found myself this week upset that somebody could not make a decision at the McDonald's check-in line you know how you go through I'm looking at this guy I'm trying to I've already emailed mine and it's an online order I've got a place to be I'm trying to get a cup of coffee literally a cup of coffee guy pulls up and I could hear him now what what is the quarter pounder what do you mean what is a quarter pounder You're from America, I think, or any place else in the world. You ought to know what a quarter pounder is, what's going on. And I'm having a minor meltdown because I'm a moron. And I'm letting the enemy come in and get me sidetracked. How about deceit? Have you ever believed something about yourself or somebody else that was a lie? How about the person to your left? Have you ever believed a lie about them? I way. have you ever repeated a lie about them? Never mind. <laughs> you know, you, you have this whole thing. We get distracted, we get, we get deceived, or we get offended. Somebody let me down. I love how, how Dave goes, your pastor has a great message. I, I turned over here to Mr. Ballard. and go, Zach, who's he talking about? <laughs> you know, I mean, how many have ever been disappointed in a pastor? Not me. <laughs> I don't want to know how many of you have been disappointed in me. I, I, my ego can't take that. I, you know, the point of it is we disappoint one another, and we get offended with one another, and somebody says something to us, whether intentional or unintentional, and it hurts. And we get focused on our offense instead of the grace of God, and all of that is just a tool to get us distracted. So what did God do in the early church to keep them on task, to keep them on assignment? Well, he did three things. He addressed problems in three different areas, at a minimum. The three I want to talk about this morning are, though, these. Is that a sentence? Did I say that correctly? Or, you know The first is church leadership, church community, and church doctrine. Okay? Leadership. If you were going to be a leader in the first century, you better have courage, integrity, and the right motives. Because it took guts, and it took ethics, and it took, a focus on what you were trying to do. They weren't negotiable. It wasn't too long after Jesus resurrected that somebody tried to make a buck from the gospel. Now, seriously, this became so important that that when you read later in the epistles, one of the characteristics or requirements to be in leadership is you you can't be greedy for filthy lucre, it says in the King James. And some of you are going, what's lucre? Cash, money. You can't be trying to prostitute the gospel. And the first guy to try to do this was a guy named Simon the sorcerer. And you can see it in the book of Acts. And we're in the 8th chapter in the ninth through the 23rd verse, verses. And it says that a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. And they are, they are in Samaria. Amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. There's a lot of people claiming to be somebody great out there in the world, aren't there? Come see me. I have the answer. I have the anointing. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke to him as the great one, the power of God. Is that what you called me this morning, Dave? The great one, the power of God? No, you didn't call me that. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message. And Philip, the evangelist, has gone into Samaria and he's preaching. He's preaching of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Very important to be baptized. If you've not been, you need to get baptized. And he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers. They're already saved. They're already baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. There is a subsequent experience with God that goes beyond salvation. That's why we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. Okay, The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit... Was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness. Now remember, Simon is a believer, he's been baptized. By everything we know, he's born again. And yet, Peter says, Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Why did Simon want supernatural power? So he could sell it to people. That's the implication here, just in the context of the story. He wanted the power to lay hands and say, hey, come come to me and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only be five bucks. That's all I'm charging today. It'll be twice that tomorrow. But if you get it today, in fact, there's a two-for-one special for $8. I'll pray lay hands on both of you. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much of one. Now, the point of it is God wants people to experience the Holy Spirit. He does. He wants them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here is this person who, who is saved, who believes in Jesus, who hasn't got his heart transformed yet, who needs to love people as Christ loved him. And do, I mean, if you had something good, wouldn't you give it away free? In fact, it's interesting, there is a scripture that says, Freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. We're not supposed to be charging for the gospel, people. Jesus paid the admission fee to heaven. You don't need to get a tip on the process. And leaders need to remember that. And how many times have, have we thought about compromising that? The other thing that's interesting to me is as a leader, Simon was attracted to the supernatural. I and mean, it was cool. He followed Philip and he followed Peter and he followed all these guys around, chasing after what was happening. And that's understandable, right? Have you ever heard the term fire chasers? It's a derogatory term in the church, and I don't think it's, a, it's fair to people, but it, it's to describe people who are so enamored with the experience of the Holy Spirit that they don't understand that the whole reason to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit is to change you so that when you get away from that encounter, you're a different person and you're more effective in your ministry. Years ago, Reinhard Bonnke was preaching. You guys know who Reinhard Bonnke was? Tremendously effective minister for Africa. And a buddy of mine got invited, a guy I went to seminary with, to go and preach with Reinhard Bonnke. How cool is that? And they're in upstate New York at a conference, and there's 20,000 people there. And my friend was a very effective youth evangelist, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're preaching it hot, and people are coming to the altar. And after the service, Reinhardt takes my friend aside, and he goes, let me tell you, I see the hand of God on your life. I'm talking in my Reinhardt accent, okay? That's what that is. I see the hand of God on your life, young man. God has set you apart to win souls. Oh, I'm offering you this. Come with me to Africa. Come with me to Africa. Don't stay in America. America, God loves America, and Americans fund the gospel. But outside, do you know what you see outside? And he goes, no, what? Mr. Reinhardt, he said, 20,000 giddy people looking for a touch of goosebumps. And when they have this touch here, all they'll do is run someplace else and get a touch from another goosebump. And they'll never understand that the goosebumps are to preach the gospel and get people out of hell and into heaven. Now, Reinhardt was an evangelist, okay? So all he cared about was souls. I'm a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I care about people and all kinds of things, but that one's not better than the other. But you understand Reinhardt got the point is that if we have an encounter with God, it is not just to make us feel better, even though it does make us feel better is to empower us to do what the first century church did, which was to go past the resurrection and into a place of reaching a broken and messed up generation. But you got to get leadership that knows that. So pray for me that I don't screw up. Seriously, pray for, because it's hard to be in leadership. If you don't think so, try it. Not looking for sympathy, just trying to share the second thing is you've got to have a community. The right community will foster spiritual growth. The wrong community will be toxic. I have been in both. In my youth, I was part of a ch- or youth or young adulthood, I should say. I was part of a church that started out really healthy. Then we weren't. Then we got toxic. And it wasn't good. And i I, I remember the day Sarah said, we should get out of this church. And I said, no, I, everything's great. She said, everything is not great. Open your eyes and look around. She's a little more discerning than me sometimes. And so I, you know, and I had to realize that you're right. This is not healthy. And, and one of the things Dave and I and all the pastors, we want to cultivate a community that is healthy. And, and there's some things that have to happen to cultivate a healthy community. One of the things you got, you got to do is, is you got to really address Integrity within the church, and selflessness within the church, and and Acts talks about this. In Acts 5, we want to read our Acts 4 beginning about the the type of community they were. It says in Acts 4 32 that all the believers were united in heart and mind. There was unity in the church, and they all felt that what they owned was not their own, so they, they shared everything they had. They were all getting persecuted. There was a reason for that, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them. So there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them, and then they would bring the money of the apostles to give to those in need. It's an incredible time in church history. It's not normative, but it, it was necessary. So we go into to chapter 5, and this is what happens. But, there's always a but in every church. Did you know that? <laughs> I thought that was funny. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was a full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself, and the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and died. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Imagine so. <laughs> then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, hey, was the price you and your husband received for this land, such and such? Yeah. Yeah. That was a price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she fell on the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. Does this judgment seem extreme? I mean, they didn't kill anybody. All they did was, you know, they lied. They bragged about something they didn't do. They sold some land. Hey, we sold the land. We're here. And for that, they died. Why? I'll tell you what I think. The church is on the verge of not just being persecuted, but being extremely persecuted. A few years from from now, Nero's going to come to power, and they're going to be putting Christians up on baskets and lighting them on fire as torches so they could celebrate by the light of the burning Christian. It's going to get real ugly real fast within a generation. So if you have extreme persecution, you have to have extreme generosity on the community that's being persecuted or that community is not going to make it. You have to have this idea of communal, of communal responsibility one for another because otherwise the church will be destroyed. And so what God has got to create in the first century church is an incredible sense of, of I care about you and, I'm, and you matter to me and I'm willing to make you know, extreme sacrifices. Now, we don't live in such a time of persecution yet. I hope we never do. But if we do, there better be some people who have more generosity in their soul than Ananias and Sapphira. There better be some people who are willing to say, you know something? The important thing is not me, it's us. Because that's a non-toxic community. That's a community. When people care about each other that deeply, that God can use those people to go out and change a world. Let's look at another example. But as believers... Rapidly multiplied, and this is Acts 6, 1 through 7. As as believers rapidly multiplied, the church is still growing. There were rumblings of discontent, growing pains. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Pause. What is happening? Within the Jewish community, if you were a widow, meaning that you don't have a husband anymore, your family was supposed to take care of you, meaning your son's. If you, The widow in the context here is a woman who has been married, whose husband's died, and she has no children to support her. So she's basically cut off. There's no welfare. There's no social security. There's no nothing. She's going to starve to death on the street unless somebody does something. So the church stepped in and took care of these people. So the Twelve called a meeting of believers, they said, and we apostles should, said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. And the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, so they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochius, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Permianus, and Nichols of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. So God's message, here's the part, verse 7, God's message continued to spread and the number of believers increased greatly in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Community, have you ever seen jealousy in the church? Have the young adults ever been jealous of the redeemers? Have the Redeemers ever been jealous of the young adults? Anybody ever been jealous of the youth? This is a true story. I know of a church in the Midwest that had the most effective youth ministry within 500 miles. Had 1,000 people in their youth services every week. They had 300 people in their Sunday morning service. True story the people, the deacons in charge of that church closed that youth ministry because they felt it was a distraction to the overall mission of the church. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Why? Well, they're everywhere. They're loud and they run through the halls. And I'm like, is this about you or is it about us? Come on, people. You cannot be this blind. Well, actually, you can apparently. You want to know why we went from 90 to 50? It's because of stuff like that. It's stuff where we don't look across and say, hey, I, and here's the thing. The church has to address it because there's a legitimate issue. I mean, the, the, the Greek Jews were getting stiffed. The Greek Christians were getting stiffed. And if the church ignored that, they would be you know, enforcing that prejudicial attitude. So they had to step in and confront it. But people also had to be willing to work together to bring about an equity, a healthy culture. So you have to address the leadership. You have to address the church and the community that's there. And finally, you have to keep the doctrine right. What doctrine? Well, let me tell you something. You get your doctrine wrong, your church will die. If you take a look at the number of people who have have left Christianity in America, if you take a look at which groups have seen the greatest decay, Almost 100% of the decline in Christianity did not occur within evangelical churches still preaching Jesus as Lord and the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Almost all of the decline happened in mainline denominational churches that stopped preaching the atoning sacrifice of Christ and the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God. And from my standpoint, I think that's a good thing. If you're going to cull people from the flock, can we cull the ones who are preaching heresy? Just being honest. And they're sitting around going, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. You stopped preaching Jesus as Lord and the need to be born again. You you compromised your doctrine and the church died. And the really sad thing is people don't recognize it. That's why when you go to our website, you look at our church, it says one of our core values is that we aim to be true to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. We are imperfect vessels. We are not... the the, the ultimate authority on interpreting scriptures, but that is our ambition to preach accurately what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught, to be able to resolve things. They had all kinds of problems in the early church. They had to to address, you know, is this only a Jewish movement or can Gentiles be saved too? I mean, seriously, you know, think about, you know, if you're a Jewish person, ethnicity, you know, you're the chosen people of God. Why would he let anybody else into the club? Why should God let Gentiles in? They're unclean. And yet Peter had a supernatural encounter in chapter 10 of the book of Acts where God said, don't call anything clean unclean that I call clean. And we're saved by faith, which brings up the second thing of doctrine. Hey, the Jews had this thing. It's like if we have to get circumcised, everybody has to get circumcised. Not that I blame them. I get it. <laughs> I mean, but, but suddenly God says no. What do you mean no? I mean, my, I kept the law. My father kept the law. My grandfather kept the law. My great-grandfather kept the law. My great-great-great-grandfather kept the law. All the way back to Moses, we've been keeping the law or trying to. Are you telling me now that we don't have to do that? Yes. Why? Because all of that did not make you righteous. My son's death made you righteous. And there was pushback on that, understandably. And yet, they had to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, guys, this is it. This is what the gospel says. And they had to address their own bigotry. Jews felt better than everybody else. And I'm not judging them for it, because often we feel better than everybody else, don't we? We're the spirit-filled Pentecostal church. Not one of those second-class churches that don't have the Holy Ghost. You know, we're more saved than they are. Ha! We're more righteous than they are. Ha! You know, we're, we're better looking. Ha! Our music is better. Ha! You get it? How effective is that church at changing a, a generation? That church is all full of itself. And what is a church supposed to be full of? Christ. Our doctrine needs to be right. I'm not saying we we have to compromise to get along, but I'm saying that if we allow ourselves to let culture or or anything else push us in a different direction, we will see ourselves devoid of the presence of God and we'll become a, a, a shallow relic be like the empty churches you can visit in Europe that were once magnificent cathedrals built to the glory of God and now they're tourist destinations where you can have a guide take you through and show you what used to go on as opposed to what's happening now so that's that's the second part of this message is that if we're going to, to be transformative in our generation, it won't come through a political movement. Not Guys, I'm as political as the next guy. I've been a registered Republican since 1980. I vote. I'm nuts. But my voting will not change this world. My leadership might if I stay true to Christ. Our church might if, if we can create a culture that is selfless and looks to empower A culture whose goal is to see that each of us have an encounter with God and grow spiritually. A culture that's true to its doctrine, that doesn't let arrogance or pride or prejudice, prejudice, dare I say that word, go in and, and divide us. If we want to be powerful, we must have unity. Because in unity, we become strong. And we're not here to fight the, the unsaved. We're here to win the unsaved. That doesn't mean I don't stand up for ethics and morality and, and all those things. You know, I'm glad that abortion is more difficult now than it used to be. I'm glad. I just read yesterday, abortion's down 7%. What a shame. And again, I, I, I have compassion and sympathy for people in, in, the, in the place of making a decision, but I'm glad that that 7% represents like 70,000 lives Just in America, that's that's a lot, okay? And I'm I'm glad about that. But I also get the fact that I've never been a woman who's got an unwanted pregnancy to deal with. I've never had to face that. And if I judge them, I'll never minister to them. And God wants me to minister to them, right? So that's what we got to do, is be true to ourselves, but be, be focused. Face our own weaknesses and keep ourselves on tack track. As they say in Star Wars, stay on target, stay on target, stay on target. There's no nerds in the room, dear father. It's from the very first Star Wars. Come on. They're going down the canyon and they're getting shot at. Stay on target. You're getting shot at. I'm getting shot at. Oh, I got one in the back. Thank you, Nikki. God bless you. That's what we need to be. And so let's pray. You know Father um, i'm gonna, I usually pray for you i 'm going to ask you to do something different. Would you pray for me and the other leaders of our church, for our board, for our pastors? Father, our church is 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 in the midst of a move of God, and I, I believe that, but the the easiest way to to get us off track God is to is to strike the heads and strike the leadership and so Father, I just pray for Myself and for all of our pastors, all of our board, all of our our deacons, all of our elders, all the leaders of our church, Father. Help us, God, to not let selfishness or hurt or or vanity or greed or anything else creep in and, and confuse why we're in ministry. Help us to stay pure. Help us to stay focused. Help us to be who you want us to be. Help us to help people create a community that loves one another, that faces their own prejudices and own issues, that is not a toxic community, but a healthy one. God, help Encounter be the kind of church that we would all want to be a part of because it's a place of, of healing and restoration and love. And help us keep our doctrines sound. Not preach our own version of your word, but your word. Your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Typically we give you action items at the end of every sermon. I've got three for today and they're very relatively simple. The first is that when you're looking for leaders, don't look for anointing, look for love because love is the greatest example of anointing. Follow people who love because they're the ones who got it. If we're talking about a community, consider being the kind of Christian you would want as a friend. I mean, if, 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 if I was, you know, what, what type of Christian friend would you like to have? Be that kind of person. And for doctrine, avoid pointless religious stuff and focus on the simple gospel of Jesus died for you. The more complicated your theology, the more likely you are to be wrong. Just wanna say that. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Be here next week. We're gonna have fun. It's gonna be a great service. We're gonna be baptizing people, anointing people. And I've I've got an encouraging message on how to be an effective leader, whether you're in business or whether you're in church. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.